Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 337. Today's topic is farming in Kenya. So how did this arise? Well, I was on the Regenerative Agroforestry Group, which I helped to start, and people are all over the world are participating in the Regenerative Agroforestry Group. And a gentleman from Kenya by the name of Armstrong Angra invited me to speak to his group in Kenya. And I said, okay, I want to do, I mean, I didn't say this, but I thought to myself, who am I to speak to a group of Kenyans? For one thing, they have an entirely different climate from what we have here in the great state of Kentucky. Many of them have been farming longer than I have, and I'm reluctant to tell farmers what to do. Plus, I don't know very much about what life is like on the ground where they are, and one of the keys to good speaking is to know your audience. But I was invited, and I was thrilled to be invited, and I wanted to accept the invitation, and I thought to myself as follows. You know, they, this would be an unusual audience if they understand everything I have to say about regenerative agriculture. Most people are at a very basic level uh, on regenerative agriculture. It would be an unusual group if they understood how to prevent floods, which is something that regenerative agriculture can do, including regenerative forestry, regenerative landscaping. They would be an unusual group indeed if they understand how to prevent drought and what causes drought. And they would be an unusual group indeed if they understood how to be drought resilient. And we could go on and on. Not many people understand that the nutritional value of our food is declining because our soil health is declining. Not only the nutritional value of our food, but the health of our plants. It, it's harder and harder to grow healthy plants if your soil is poor. It doesn't matter how much you add to the soil. If you don't have healthy living soil, it's going to be more and more of a struggle to grow healthy plants that are disease resistant. So let's go. The topic that Armstrong Angra wanted me to talk about, he wanted me to encourage people to use the resources that are available to them. So I took that as a challenge and say, here are the resources that if you use these resources optimally, you might have more wealth 10 years down the road. Wealth defined not just as one's bank account, but wealth defined as well-being. So let, and this could be to anyone in the world, anywhere in the world. So let's talk about how to use our resources as a community to build true wealth, true well-being. Okay, so everybody has these things. Here are the resources that we're talking about. Everybody has some, the sun. Some have more, some have less. But everybody has some sun. Everybody has rain. Some have more, some have less. But everybody has some rain. Are we using, making the most of the rain to build wealth or well-being? Are we making the most of the sun to build 
wealth and well-being. Everybody has land. Some have more, some have less. But are we using our land in such a way as to build well-being? Everybody has water. Are we utilizing the water that we have in a way as to build wealth over the course of time? Everybody has plants. Everybody has animals. So let's manage these resources to build wealth, i.e. well-being. So let, let's talk for just a minute about what is wealth. So wealth include, I and mean, we're talking about, this could be anywhere in the world, but especially in a country where most of the people are, you know, don't have very much. Wealth can be defined as food security. If you have more food security, you have more wealth. Wealth can be defined as having food that is healthy and nutritious. We talk about having food deserts here. Well, a food desert is a place where there is less wealth in terms of the availability of good food. Wealth can also be defined as health. If you have more health, on average, you have more wealth. Wealth can be defined as freedom from toxins in the food, water, air, and soil. If you have cleaner food, water, air, and soil, then you have more wealth. What we don't realize, all over the world, our wealth is being stolen from us because our health is being stolen from us. Our health is being stolen from us by companies that, well, they just want to make a profit. And your health is not their concern. It's really not. Wealth can also be defined as wildlife. Wealth can be defined as more water security. Some places have more water security. Some places have less. Many of the people around the world, I've heard figures like, you know, 600 million people live in places that do not have a steady supply of fresh, clean water. Time is another form of wealth. Control over your life is another form of wealth. And the ability to do what you want to do is another form of wealth. And we can be building more wealth as a community in Louisville or in Kenya. And it takes a community, but we can build more wealth in terms of food security, nutritional value of food, our health, freedom from toxins, wildlife, water security, time, control over your life, and the ability to do what you want. We can be building all of those things by having an increasingly healthy local food system. So whether you're in Louisville or whether you're in Kenya, 10 years from now, will you have more or less of these things? Will you have more or less food security, water security, fertile soil? Will you have more livestock that is sustainably raised and owned by regular people, not just a few, not just a few wealthy people. Ten years from now, will you have more or less production of healthy, nutritious, locally sourced fruits and vegetables? We should work for a time when we have more locally sourced fruits and vegetables because locally sourced is more, it's more nutritious and it's more sustainable and 
ecological sustainability is a form of wealth. Any wealth apart from ecological sustainability is, in the long run, illusory and even fictitious. So, continuing to talk to my Kenyan audience, sharing what I shared with them, and I'm telling them, here's what you don't want. You don't want to follow the lead of the United States. Because here's what we're doing in the United States. Are you ready for this? I have six items here. What we are doing to ourselves and to our land in the United States. We are destroying our rainfall. Because we're deforesting, we're plowing up the ground, which causes desertification and floods. We're destroying our topsoil. We're deforesting, cutting down all the trees. We are producing toxic food. We are destroying our wildlife habitat and have been ever since Europeans arrived on this continent. And we are destroying our water, air, and food with toxic chemicals, including insecticides, herbicides, and chemical fertilizers. So my friends in Kenya, do not do as we are doing. Do not idolize the United States of America. Do not seek to emulate the United States of America. I can hardly think of any way in which another country uh, would seek to emulate us in terms of our conventional farming. So here are two things I want you to do, whether you're in Louisville or whether you're in Kenya or whether you're someplace else in, in the U.S. listening. Two things. One is to practice rotational grazing. And the other is nurture living soils in your gardens. And if you can't practice rotational grazing, buy from farms that are rotating. If you eat meat, buy from farms that are rotating their livestock. So let's talk about rotational grazing. Can't you just turn the cows out on a lot and let them go to it? What about the sheep? What about the pigs? What about the um, goats? Can't you just turn them loose? What difference does it make? Well, let me ask you this. What if you manage your livestock in a way that increases your soil health and brings rain and prevents floods and prevents drought. And what if you could manage your livestock in a way that brings back wildlife? And what if you could manage your livestock in a way that creates healthy soils for your crops? All of this is possible. All of this is feasible. So in order to explain what I'm talking about, let's talk about what is bad grazing. Well, ironically, bad grazing is when you have too few animals. You would think that bad grazing is too many animals, but it can be too few. It's bad grazing is too few animals grazing for too long in one place, also known in the business as continuous grazing. Most of the time when you see cattle, out in a field, 
those cattle are allowed to graze continuously. That's bad grazing because the cattle, you know, they chew back the grass before it has a chance to recover. Bad grazing is when the grass does not have a chance to recover. And it's when they're regrazing the same pasture too often. On the other hand, what is good grazing? Good grazing is when you have a lot of animals in a small pasture for a short time. A lot of animals in a small pasture for a short time. And what you're doing is you're grazing them in a place that has had a long time to recover, at least a couple of months in Kentucky, in the eastern U.S. In wet areas, the land needs at least a couple of months to recover. In dry areas, the land needs might need a year or more to recover. It's also called intensive grazing or mob grazing, but it's you let the animals graze in one place for a day and then you move them. Most of the Kentucky farmers that I know who do rotational grazing, they're moving their animals every day. If you don't do this, what happens? Well, here, here's the cost of bad grazing. The cost of bad grazing is that the pasture gets worn out. The grass does not grow well. The soil dies. The soil gets compacted. And then when it rains, it floods. Because that's what happens when the soil is relatively dead. It might not be completely dead, but if it's if it's not very good soil, then by definition, that means it doesn't have very much living plants, animals, and fungi and microorganisms in it. Good soil has lots of living plants, animals, and microorganisms and fungi in it. So good soil, what happens when it rains? What happens when it rains on good soil? When it rains, on good soil, the soil acts like a sponge and absorbs the rain water. Soil has an incredible capacity to absorb rainwater, but it has to be good soil. Good soil is about 50% empty spaces. Actually, we know it's not empty because nature abhors a vacuum. And by empty spaces, I mean a place where there is air and or water. So if you have good soil and you haven't had a rain for a while, then that soil is gonna have air in those empty spaces. And then when it rains, those, uh, the air gets replaced by water. This is why healthy living soils are the solution to flooding and healthy living soils are the solution to drought. Because drought occurs when there hasn't been much rainfall, but also drought occurs when there's not much water stored in the ground. You can have two farms side by side, two fields side by side, two landscapes side by side. 
one is going to absorb more rain than the other because it has healthy living soil. And then when it absorbs more rain, guess what happens? The plants grow. The plant, plants grow better because it soaked up more water to begin with and it saves that water over the course of time. You can have no rain for weeks and if you have good soil, your plants are going to continue to grow. Don't, isn't that what we want? Say it with me. Yes, that's what we want. So where were we? We were talking about the cost of bad grazing. Bad grazing is when the pasture gets worn out because the animals are grazing on it too frequently, too regularly, and it does not have a chance to recover. It does not have enough of a chance to rest. So the soil dies, the soil gets compacted, and when it rains, it floods because that soil, that the, the soil that cannot absorb the water, it, water can only do two things. It can sink into the ground or it can run off. The less water sinks into the ground, the more it runs off. And the more it runs off, by definition, we're talking about flooding. Flooding is excess runoff. Flooding is not merely caused by too much rainfall. Flooding is caused in large measure because the rainfall does not have a place to go. Moving on, so I'm encouraging my friends in Kenya and in the U.S. to, I mean, not everybody owns animals. <laughs> Most people don't, but if you don't own animals and if you're not making management decisions on your livestock, then at least you can buy your food from a farmer's market where the animals are raised in regeneratively, which includes rotational grazing. So let's talk about the benefits of good grazing. Good grazing is where the pasture produces more per acre. So don't we want that? Don't we want the pasture to produce more grass per acre because it gets fertilized and then it has a chance to grow. By fertilize, I'm talking about the, the, the dunging. The manure and the urine are good as gold. If you have good grass-fed animals that are grazed rotationally, unfortunately, the opposite is true. If you're talking about animals in any sort of confined animal feeding operation. The only animals that are positively impacting the grass and the meadows and the grasslands are the ones that are living on the grasslands, not indoors. And they're not only living on the grasslands, but they're strategically rotated. So good grazing, you're going to have more productivity. Your grass is going to grow faster. In Virginia, Joel Salton is a farmer who he gets five times as much productivity from his pasture as the county average. So the county average, you can have 80 cows for one day on, a, on an acre. He gets 400. 
So 80 times 5 is 400. He's getting five times as much productivity. So if your pasture is producing more, if there's more grass growth, then you're going to have more, the animals are going to gain more uh, per acre. You're going to pay less for feed. The animals gain more weight for less money. The grass grows better. The animals are happier. The soil thrives. The soil, this is talking about the benefits of good grazing. The animals are happier. The soil thrives. The soil is more nutritious for the plants. And when it rains, the soil absorbs the water instead of running it off. When it rains, the, not only the soils, but the grasses absorb more water. And you have less drought and less flooding. So maybe that's more information than many people want in terms of, you know, most people are not farmers, but we, okay, we need to understand where our food comes from because I submit to you that agriculture has the biggest environmental impact of any sector in our economy, and it's got some stiff competition. The biggest climate impact, the biggest impact on biodiversity, the Im biggest impact on water. Just because you don't hear it doesn't mean it's not true. And it, you, you have stiff competition from transportation, from defense, you know, transportation and defense and fashion. All these sectors have a huge impact on the environment, on the air, on the water, on climate, on biodiversity. But from where I sit, Agriculture is the daddy of them all because agriculture is taking, you know, entire states and entire regions and polluting the water and removing all the wildlife habitat. So we can change that by what we decide to buy and maybe even what we decide to grow. Which brings us to the second call to action for my Kenyan audience and for my American audience. The first call to action is to rotate your animals or buy your meat from an operation that rotates the animals. The second call to action is nurture living soil in your garden. We've already talked about living soil when we were talking about animals because animals can have a positive or negative impact on the soil. Now let's talk about how we can, how our plants and our food crops can have a positive or negative impact on the living soil. And anything that positively impacts soil is going to be good for climate, good for water, good for wildlife, and good for nutrition. Conversely, anything that is bad for the soil is going to be bad for nutrition, it's going to be bad for climate, it's going to be bad for wildlife, and it's going to be bad for water. So let's talk about how and why to nurture living soils in your garden. So note well, foods of today have a fraction of the nutrition that they used to. A carrot has less nutritional value, even if it's organic, a carrot has less nutritional value by half, typically. And just obviously this, these things vary, but whether it's a carrot or a beet or name your vegetable, it's going to have about half or a third of the nutritional value it did 
70 years ago because for 70 years we've been growing our food in dead soil. Dead soil cannot deliver nutritional value to the plant and insofar as we're getting our nutrition from plants we need to be concerned that that you know if they're if the plants are being grown in dead soils because only living soil can deliver nutrients to the plant the whole mechanism for delivering nutrients to a carrot or a tomato or a beet or squash the, uh, the whole mechanism or corn the whole mechanism is living soil nature for billions of years has been maybe only a few hundred million years but uh, nature for at least hundreds of millions of years has been delivering nutrients to the plant by way of living soil and if we will grow our fruits and vegetables in healthy living soils we will have more nutritious food stronger plants we will have natural pest control we will have reduced flooding we will have reduced drought and we will create cooler microclimates so here is how we have healthy living soils here are the calls to action there's about five of them one reduce or eliminate chemical fertilizers reduce or eliminate toxic pesticides which includes insecticides herbicides and fungicides because chemical fertilizers and toxic pesticides they destroy the living soil you know soil is living your your nitrogen fertilizer your potassium fertilizer your um, phosphorus fertilizer is just going to destroy the, the living soils another thing I want you to do is celebrate diversity in your garden think twice about pulling a weed because living roots in the ground is one way that soils build themselves in nature plants don't take from the soil they give to the soil actually they do both but plants give to the soil plants inject carbon into the soil the carbon is in the form of sugars bacteria come running it's like hey cake and cookies let's have a party so the bacteria come running and that's the beginning of the whole soil food web which delivers nutrients to the plant because plants can't go looking for their food they can't go foraging for their food they have to invite the food to come to them got about a minute left let me leave you with some things to think about so question and answer here's a question heart how do you farm regeneratively or garden regeneratively and the answer to that is you have to do almost everything completely the opposite of everything we've ever seen mostly what we've seen in our gardening practices is bad for the soil with all of the negative ripple effects that come from that most of what we see in farm fields is bad for the soil and it's bad for nutrition and water and biodiversity so unfortunately it's 2022 and we have to talk about the basics of soil health this should have been taught in elementary school 
and then we would know it was not because just because no fault of the teachers but we need to talk about the basics of regenerative farming even if you don't grow food you eat food right so we need to eat food that is grown in healthy living soil we need to eat plants that are grown in healthy living soil and we need to eat meat that is grown in a, a good system of rotational grazing that's all the time we have thanks so much for joining me come back soon